Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It is, believe it or not, 24th day of all in August. Yesterday was our granddaughter Scarlett's ninth birthday. Holy smokes, that kid's getting old. <laughs> I can't believe it. Nine years we've had the incredible Scarlett Van Epps in our life. Uh, happy birthday, Scarlett. Um, anyway, just wanted to, to, to tell you for a second today, we're, we're, we're seven days away from the end of all in August. And I have a little, just a little thought for you today. If you go back to Tuesdays with Tata from back on, uh, let's see, what day was that? The end of July, we talked with Tata about burning the plow, the story from Elisha, when Elijah calls him to join him as a prophet and take over his ministry. We, um, Elisha, there's a story where Elisha burns his plow. He burns his oxen, sacrifices them. And so it's uh, from back on July 26th, episode 51 of season five. If you go back to listen to that one, we talked about Elisha's all-in moment. He had to burn the plow. We kind of parenthetically mentioned the story from the all-in book uh, over in chapter 26, I think. No, I'm sorry, chapter six of all-in. Um, the the chapter called Burn the Ships, Mark Batterson tells a story about how the Spanish explorer Cortez, when he got to the New World in order to, to make it, to motivate his people to fight and not give up, that he made them burn their ships on the beach, right? He made them burn the ships so that there was no choice but to go all in and go forward in the fight. And that's not a comment about totalitarianism or, you know, uh, conquering other lands or any of that. It's just a story about how if you have a big challenge in front of you, one way to make sure that you can go forward and not fall back is to burn the ships, right? To, to fully commit to the mission. And so that we told that story and we talked and Tata had some great insights. And, and so we talked about burning the plow that Elisha did back on July 26th. And I would just encourage you to go back and listen to that. But today, I want to cover a little bit more ground from All In, Chapter 6. And there's some a couple of ideas that, that Mark Batterson kind of reminded me of. And I want to share them with you. And Tata and I also talked once before in the past about the idea of don't go down to Egypt for chariots and horses. It's a little byline, one of the Tataisms that Tata always says. And I asked him on Tutesa Tata, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that episode. Um, what does that mean, go down to Egypt for chariots and horses? And he reminded me of a Bible story. And that, I want to mention in the context of going all in. If you're, you're seven days away from the end of all in August, and if you haven't been able to stick with it, if you're not fully committed to going all in, or if you haven't even started yet, it'd be a great time to get after it and kind of get your mind on right. And this little talk this morning from Mark Batterson's book, and then kind of tying it back into Don't Go Down to Egypt that Tata taught me about, I think will help us get our heads on straight. And the good news is, when we're trying to change our mind and change our life, Lisa's always telling us, you can't do it until you're ready to start today. And the good news is you always can. Let's hear from Lisa. Take it away, Lisa. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. 
I'm a neurosurgeon and author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery. To get it done, you can get the show notes and more at drleewarren.podbean.com. That's drleewarren.podbean.com, and if you like the show, Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Okay, are you ready? By the way, if you're all in with us, I would love to hear from you. Speakpipe.com slash Dr. Lee Warren. Or if you haven't started yet, or if you started and you're having trouble, share it with us. This is a great community of people who are pulling for you, friend, a cloud of witnesses who want you to succeed at whatever it is God's calling you to. We want you to win, and we love to hear your voice about what you're dealing with, what you're going through. You can always use the prayer wall, like we just said, wle1md.com slash prayer. But if you want to leave a voicemail and you want me to clip that out and use your voice on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Speakpipe.com slash Dr. Lee Warren. Okay. Hey. Chapter 6 of All In. If you haven't read the book yet, All In by Mark Batterson, please, I implore you, get that book, read it, download it, go to the library. If you can't afford it, can't find it, send me an email, lee at drleewarren.com. I'll send you a copy. We've given away a few. And, and I just, I really believe this book will help you, okay? It'll help you. But there's a story in Chapter 6, we've covered it before, about a, about Cortez when he got to the New World in 1519. He had 11 ships, he had 500 soldiers, and there were several million people that were not willing to give up their land to him. And so he had a big mission ahead of him. If he believed he was destined to help conquer this new world, he had 7,500 or so to one odds of succeeding. And he knew the only way to do it would be to eliminate any possibility of his guys going and getting on the boats again and sailing back home, which would be their tendency right it's, it, it's, it's normal it's natural when you face a challenge to shrink back from it and go back towards something more comfortable and that it and batterson makes this good point like if plan a is to conquer the new world and plan b is to to give up when it gets hard and go back and get on the boats and sail back home and go back to what's familiar then most people batterson says are living their plan b most people are not living what God has fully called them to. Most people aren't all in enough to say, God, I want to know what you have for me and not to keep circling all the things that I've been circling my own on my own life. Most people are living their plan B. So Batterson says this, there are moments in life when you need to burn the ships to our past. We do so by making a defining decision that will eliminate the possibility of sailing back to the old world we left behind. You burn the ships named past failure and past success. You burn the ship named bad habit. You burn the ship named regret. You burn the ship named guilt. You burn the ship named my old way of life. That's what Elisha did when he burned the plows, right? He was he was saying, I'm not a farmer anymore. I'm pursuing being a prophet of God. I'm not a farmer anymore. I'm going to go all in with what God is asking me to do. And so the question for us today, what's keeping us from going all in? What's keeping us from burning the ships? What's what's holding us back? What's changing us? He makes a great point about how you can't ever get to the next place until you're willing to give up what you've accomplished in the previous place. He talks about school, right? Every PhD starts as a kindergartner, right? And I was a really, really good kindergartner, 
But then I had to quit being a kindergartner right when I got really good at it and had to become a first grader, which I didn't know anything about. And I was a terrible first grader for a few days. And then guess what? I got to be a pretty good first grader. And then I had to go start all over in second grade, right? Well, the same thing happens. You might be the best junior high student there is, but at some point you got to stop being a really, really great eighth grader and become a freshman and who knows nothing about high school, right? And just repeat the same process. I did great in college, but then I had to start in medical school, and I was a nobody. I was a beginner. I was a first-year student, right? Then I was a really, really, really solid, good medical student, and I had to become a lowly intern, to start my residency, and I was a great intern, but then I had to start and be a first-year neurosurgery resident, right? You have to keep starting over and be willing to to break it down and let God put you in a new place, even if you feel really, really comfortable. How pathetic would it be if I was now 53 years old and I was still a chief resident in neurosurgery because I was so good at being a chief resident and so comfortable with all those attendings around and and all that structure and all the, the, the programs and everything that I had as a resident. I didn't have to make decisions on my own that much. I didn't have to own my own business. I didn't have to be in charge of the department. I could just be a resident, right? How pathetic would that be, though, if I never moved past that, if I just kept going back and starting my chief residency year over and over and over? It'd be terrible, right? I'd be like the the the, the freshman who's 45 years old. I'd be, I'd be a chief resident who never graduated, never launched. And I want that for you. Elisha didn't do that. He didn't stay as a really, really good farmer. He became an inexperienced apprentice prophet and then went on to become one of the greatest prophets in the Bible, right? Because he burned the plows, because he was willing to start over, because he was willing to go all in. Now, there's this story, Tata, this little Tataism that he always says, don't go down to Egypt for chariots and horses. And I was like, what's that all about? And we talked about it on Tuesdays with Tata. And the, the reference comes from Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 30. Let me make sure, yeah, Isaiah chapter 30. He says, Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, those who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help in Pharaoh's protection. So the idea is that the people were facing this battle that they were scared of, that they were worried about the opponent, they were worried about the enemy. They didn't think they were strong enough to accomplish the task, and they and they were tempted to go make an alliance with Egypt and get some of their strong horses and fast chariots and, and soldiers and mercenaries to help them fight this battle, that they were going to go make an alliance with Egypt. Even though Egypt had historically been their enemy, they'd been enslaved there for hundreds of years, right? Egypt wasn't Israel's friend. But they were ready to make an alliance if it would profit them. And so God says, hey, I'm your God. I'm your army. I'm your battle. I'll fight your battle for you. Don't think you got to go down somewhere else and make an alliance with somebody against my direction and find your strength somewhere besides in me. So that's where Tata's reference came from, Isaiah 30. But when I looked that up, I realized there's at least two other places in the Bible where God has to tell these people the same thing. One of them is in Jeremiah in 42, Jeremiah chapter 42. They're doing the same thing. They're thinking about making an alliance with Israel, oh, with Egypt, rather. I'm sorry. He's saying, you, I've called you to be exiles in this land in Babylon. And the people are saying, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to go down to Egypt. It'll be better for us there. And God says, if you go and you go do this against my will, I will take famine and plague and war 
and you will be punished for not trusting me. If you, if you don't stay here where I've called you to be and planted you, if you don't stay with me, I'm going to punish you. And guess what? They went to Egypt anyway, and God brought pestilence and famine and war on them, and they didn't work out the way they thought it would. He said, don't go down to Egypt. Now, this is my Egyptian friends. This is not a, a mark about Egypt. There's nothing wrong with Egypt. The, the point is people had been in a bad situation, but they, they had enough food there, and they had some shelter there, and they had just enough to, to make it feel like when things were hard out of Egypt that maybe the, maybe the slavery wasn't so bad. Maybe the situation wasn't all that bad. Maybe they were just remembering it wrong. And maybe if they went back, they would have better food. And maybe they could get their old jobs back. And maybe Egypt would, would be better on them this time around. It was, the, it was the, the pull of the familiar. And let me just tell you, this is why people go back to abusive relationships. This is why people can't kick the habit of too much alcohol or drugs or television or shopping or whatever, when they, try to, when they try to go all in with God, when they try to let Him be enough for them, there's this constant pull of the familiar. Even if the familiar isn't really so great, there's a constant tug to go back the way it used to be. There's a third place, and it's in Genesis. All the way back in Genesis, in the story of Isaac and Abimelech, in Genesis 26, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Now, let me just give you some chronological timeline. This part of Genesis is thought to have been written in about 1900. You get that? 1900 B.C. So in 1900 B.C., God's telling Isaac, Hey, I'm calling you to live in a particular place. I'm giving you a blessing. I'm putting you in a spot. Don't get tempted to go down to Egypt again and let somebody else take care of you. Let me do it. So in 1900 B.C., God's telling Isaac, don't go down to Egypt. Okay? Now, check it out. Isaiah is written in about 700 B.C. 700 B.C., so 1,200 years, a, a, a millennium has passed in a couple of centuries thrown in. A thousand years, 1,200 years later, God's telling the people in Isaiah, don't go down to Egypt for chariots and horses. Don't go down there. Stay with me. Let me call the shots for you. Jeremiah is another 100 years after that in 600 B.C. Jeremiah, God's telling the people, don't go down to Egypt. Don't you dare leave where I'm calling you to. The plans I have for you that are good to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. Don't give up and go back to Egypt for comfort. Don't do it. So here we have 1,300 years of history. And the people are doing the same thing. They won't burn their boats. They want that comfort. They want that idea that somewhere else is going to be safer or easier or less stressful or less difficult for them than going all in with God. Why am I telling you this today? I'm telling you this today because we're in the third and final week of all in August. And if you haven't started yet, or if you keep starting and slipping back into something more familiar, don't feel like you're unique and you're a failure or you're a loser, then you can't do it because this is human history right here. It's hard to break the chains of things that seem easier or better or more comfortable or more familiar or maybe a little bit less scary than some other place that God's calling you to. But knowing that, once you understand that, then it should be easier for you to really trust God. For thousands of years, God's plan has proven to be better than our plan. 
There's one more little passage Mark Patterson mentions it. This is what reminded me of the Egypt and chariots and horses and all that. In the book, in chapter 6 of All In, he talks about, he, he quotes a scripture. He says, what God got, what got you to where you are may not get you to where God wants you to go next. What got you to where you are may not get you to where God wants you to go next. Because remember, if you want to do something new, you have to stop doing something old, right? If you want God to do something new, you got to stop doing the same old thing. Batterson says it like this. One of our fundamental spiritual problems is this, and I just showed you people have been doing it for thousands of years. One of our fundamental spiritual problems is this. We want God to do something new while we keep doing the same old thing. We want God to change our circumstances without us having to change at all. We want God to miraculously work it all out, but we don't stop spending all our money, right? We want God to, to fix the problem, but we don't stop drinking the booze. We want God to fix our marriage, but we don't stop clicking on those websites that our wife doesn't want us to click on. We want our kids to respect us, but we don't stop not spending time with them. We get off our stupid phones and spend a few minutes with our kids, right? We want God to change it, but we don't want to change anything. And here's this this arcane reference that Batterson says, what got you to where you are may not get you where you want to go. And he quotes a scripture, seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. Seek the Lord and live. Now, what in the world is he talking about? That scripture comes from Amos chapter 5. Amos, another prophet in the Old Testament, also written around 700 B.C. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. It's from Amos 5.5. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. Seek me and live. Now, here's what Batterson says. Bethel was the place where Jacob had his life-changing dream when Jacob wrestled with God. He built an altar and made a vow there. Gilgal was the place where the Israelites camped after God miraculously parted the Jordan River and they stepped foot into the Promised Land for the first time. That was Gilgal. It took one night to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. They finally got to the Promised Land at Gilgal, and that's where it happened. Beersheba is the place where Abraham made a treaty with Abimelech and called on the Lord. His son Isaac dug a well and built an altar there. So these were three good places. These were three places that had special significance to the Israelite. They were sacred landmarks in Israel's spiritual journey. So why, Batterson says, would God tell them not to seek him there? And here's why, friend. This is the whole point today. The answer is simple. You won't find God in the past. You won't find him in the past, no matter how hard you look. That's not where he's at. So Batterson writes this great, great sentence. It's right here. You won't find God in the past. His name is not I was. His name is I am. He is an ever-present help. Let that sink in. When we cling too tightly to what get what God did last, we often miss what God wants to do next because God is at work here right now. So here's the point. Sometimes we get sucked back into thinking that some part of our life in the past, even if it wasn't great, even if we were in slavery, even if we were impoverished, or even if we were abused, we, we feel like that known quantity is better than the scary unknown future. So we can't go all in because we're stuck in the past. Also, sometimes, though, it's the flip of that. It's that we had something really good in the past. God did a great thing. He's, he put us in a great spot, and we just can't launch into this new thing that he's calling us to or this new freedom or this new possibility or this all-in state because we keep wanting to go back to what he did last time, right? So it's 
it's Batterson's point that I'd love today that I just want to share with you. God is always doing a new thing. So go ahead and build your altars and mark moments in the past that are important. Have your photo albums. Put, your, put it on Facebook. But the purpose of altars is to remind us of God's faithfulness in the past so that we have faith to believe Him for the future. That's why I'm always telling you hope is a verb. It's memory, remembering what happened in the past that was good, and movement. God did it before, and we're going to move towards what He's calling us to in the future. It's memory and movement. So at some point in your life, you have to start living out of the past and into the future. Go ahead and put your your happy memories on Facebook, but don't live there. God is not I was. He is I am. So don't go down to Egypt for chariots and horses. So don't go back to where it was hard before just because it's a little more familiar, but also don't go back to all those places he did great things before because he's not back there. He's in the future. It's time to burn the ships. It's time to burn the ships because you know what? If you don't burn the ships, God's not going to part the waters. And you'll sail off into some place that wasn't where he wanted you to go if you insist on getting back on the boat. But if you let him, he will part the water in front of you and you will walk on dry ground to where it is that he wants you to go. The only way to predict your future, Batterson says, is to create it. Let God keep his promise to you that if you go all in with him, something good will happen. That chapter in Isaiah that I read to you a while ago, it's Isaiah 30, when he's saying, hey, don't be obstinate. Don't make plans. Don't make alliances that are not mine. Don't go down to Egypt without consulting me. In that same chapter, down in verse 15, he says this, in repentance and rest, friend, I added the friend, in repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Don't be that person that won't let him Give you the rest he wants you to have when you finally go all in. Remember this, down in verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He will rise up to show you compassion. Then down in 21, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Friend, you will come up against that ocean that seems impossible, and you're going to be tempted to go back and get in the ship and sail back home. But he will part those waters, and he will tell you the way to go, and he will give you repentance and rest, and he'll give you the strength to go where he's calling you, but he wants you to go all in. It's time to burn the boats. It's time to burn the plow. It's time to stop thinking that there's some place in the past that you can go that'll be easier or safer than where God's calling you to. It's time to go all in, and the good news is, you can start today. Hey, thanks for listening. The Dr. Lee Warren podcast is listener supported. Check out patron.podbean.com slash Dr. Lee Warren. That's patron.podbean.com slash Dr. Lee Warren. Patrons and partners get free books, transcripts, special patron only episodes and more. And partners like you allow us to stay ad free and keep growing. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together 
via self brain surgery, Dr. Lee Warren. Substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarnmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.